Okay, so we're going to chat about freedom today. And the key verse that we're going to look at is, um, or or that we've been structuring the entire series on is Galatians, uh, in Galatians 5, where Paul writes that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So wherever he he shows up, um, you can expect freedom to follow. And increasing freedom, accelerating freedom, uh, freedom that's growing in our lives, freedom that's, um, that's increasing all the time. It's not a freedom that s- stays put, but it's a freedom that grows. And we're learning how to grow in that freedom here at Vineyard Cleveland. We're learning what it means to share that freedom with others and to govern in freedom. What does that look like in our lives? Because most of the time, um, you know, in Christian circles or in church circles, the the story, uh, the the Christian journey, the story of freedom is incomplete. Mostly, the story that you'll hear um, if you ask Christians what their story of freedom is is that they will tell you, "I once was this, and I now am." And that's where the story stops. The story is more about getting free from what um, ailed you in the past, getting free from addictions. And we've talked about that, getting free and and staying free from addictions, from compulsion, from all sorts of different things. But sadly, um, that's where we stop. And that's where the majority of followers of Jesus will stop. You know, I'm free from something, period. But that's not God's design for us. God's design isn't for freedom is not that we would be free from something, it's that we'd be free for something. We're called to be growing in freedom, to move into our freedom, to occupy our freedom. It's one thing to get free, but it's another thing to grow in freedom. God doesn't just want freedom from something he wants freedom for. You know, the typical Christian story of I once was and I now am doesn't enter us into fullness. Freedom to become the people we long to be. And the truth is that your inheritance is only activated when your freedom is limited. And that's counterintuitive. We'll get to that in a minute. Until your inheritance is activated, your freedom's going to be limited. And if you don't know your destiny, you won't be using your freedom wisely. God wants freedom to accelerate in your life. And actually, until you know your destiny, your freedom will be a hindrance to you. Your freedom will be the death of you until you know what you were designed to be. And the classic example of this is retirement. They did a study at Shell Oil Company a couple of years back, and they found that out of all of the uh, Shell employees that retired early, um, a vast majority of these people who retired early died within like two years of their retirement. This is a tip. No, you act shocked. This is a typical story. And folks who are on the edge of retirement will tell you that this is the truth. You see, this is the illustration. Because those people had figured out what they, were, what they wanted to be free from, 
They didn't figure out, they didn't realize what they were free for. After work, what's left? The, the study found that this would typically happen in males, not females, and it would typically happen with those who retired before the age of 55. Those people figured out what they wanted freedom from. You know, the daily grind. They'll finally be able to, to go on that cruise to Montego Bay <laughs> after they retire. You know, after, after I'm done dealing with the boss and my coworkers, but they didn't figure out what they were free for. Huge difference. Freedom from a past is good, but freedom for a future is best. Heaven, heaven's future is all about setting up the next generation. We'll talk about this too. Freedom is not about having more options. In America, we like to think that the more options we have, the more freedom we experience. But actually, that's a slave mentality. Because with the multiplication of options comes great confusion. And the classic example here is Starbucks. How often do you go into Starbucks and you hear someone else's order, or maybe it's your order, <laughs> and you're like, you know, I'll have a Thai, chi, chai tea, skinny, tall, um, brevet, latte, mocha. Whose drink is that? That's somebody's drink without the... I, did I mix martial arts into there as well? Did I say chai chi? Tai chi? Tai chi? You see, you see, I'm illustrating this for you right now that with, you know, more options does not equal greater freedom. But in the United States, we like to think that it does. It just creates greater confusion. Because true freedom is more than just options. You know, it's more than just permission to do what I want to do, to do what I feel like doing. That's not true freedom. True freedom is the power to become who I was always meant to be, to step into a destiny that was prepared and reserved for me before the foundation of the earth. That's true freedom. And as I was studying this week and meditating and preparing, I felt like the Lord wanted us to focus on one little key phrase in, in our text this morning, and we'll, we'll go through it here in a second. But it's all about inheritance and knowing that we're heirs to the promise of Abraham. And so I found a couple of stories on inheritance that I thought you might like to hear that are kind of, will kind of set us up for the rest of our time. And the first story is about William Shakespeare. You guys know the bard, William Shakespeare. As William Shakespeare passes away, he, um, he writes a will and testament. And the famous story about William Shakespeare's will and testament is how he snubbed his wife, Anne Hathaway. Are you aware of this? That he, he wrote in his will that she was to receive his second best bed. And that she was basically cut out from all inheritance, from William Shakespeare's inheritance. Now, she, she could probably challenge this in today's courts, but that, that is like the classic example of being snubbed in an inheritance. The other, the other story that I found was that of $12, 12 million dollars going to a dog in 2004. Now, for you dog lovers, 
I realize I'm stepping on shaky ground. I'm a dog lover too. Hear me out. Leona Helmsley is like this billionaire hotel owner, and she left instructions for her $4 billion fortune to be spent caring for dogs. $4 billion. Having apparently rethought an earlier draft, she left some of that to the poor. So she changed, <laughs> she edited a little bit. She said, man, that might be a little bit extreme. $4 billion. But her, this is the interesting part, her nine-year-old Maltese trouble, received $12 million in the will. $12 million to a Maltese. And here's the even better part, is that in the will, her grandchildren were either cut out or ordered to visit their father's grave annually in order to inherit their share. (laughs) Trouble the Maltese gets $12 million, but to the grandchildren, you will visit your father's grave if you want any share of the money. You know, Trouble's inheritance was later cut to just $2 million by a judge, although the dog still needed to go into hiding amid, amidst death and kidnap threats. <laughs> and the one, the one story that just struck me this week and that illustrates the text really well is the story of a pastor who goes and visits this dying woman, and she's on her deathbed, and she's like in her final days, right? And as the pastor walks in to visit her, all of the apartment walls, she lives in adjunct poverty. She lives in this tiny apartment, and all the walls are bare except for this one piece of paper that's framed on the wall, and it's a letter. And so the pastor asks this woman, he says, what's, you know, what is this? And she goes on to tell her story to the pastor that, Um, years and years ago that she used to be a housekeeper for this wealthy man. And the man was really kind to her and um, she worked hard for him. And um, after he had died, the story goes, after that he, he had died, he sent this letter to her. But she was illiterate. She couldn't read it. And she took it as just like a token of this guy like caring for her, and she cared for this man. And so there the letter uh, hung, framed on her wall for like 50 plus years. And so the pastor said, the pastor looked at it and stepped back, and he was just floored and shocked. Because what, because what it was, was a letter where this wealthy man had given this woman his entire estate. But there it sat framed on her wall, and she had no idea. And she passed away the next day. So there were millions upon millions in in inheritance, and she never knew. She was illiterate. And what this does is it illustrates the position of most believers— as, there's this, as we are heirs to the promise, there's this fullness that we're called to walk in and to step into. But sadly, none of us, hardly, very few of us step into that inheritance for a number of different reasons. And so that's what we're going to get at today. So if you wanted to 
Turn to Galatians 3 with me, or swipe there with me. We'll read together, and the context of this, for those of you who are just picking it up, picking it up today uh, with us, is that Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatia, and he's planted these churches, plural, Galatia's in a region of the world where modern-day Turkey would be. And so these people have no um, identification with Jesus personally. Paul shares the gospel with the people in Galatia. They receive what they hear. They believe what they hear. They come to Jesus. Paul then leaves to plant other churches. These people come in, who are later called like Judaizers or whatever, and they say a different gospel, and they tell the, the Gentiles here, remember, they have no identification with Jewish culture whatsoever. They don't know the Mosaic law. They just know what Paul preached to them. And these people say, you, you want proof that you receive Jesus? Like, you need to become circumcised. You need to do this in order to have proof that what you received is the authentic article. And they're like, Okay, sign me up. I want to follow Jesus. You know, if that's what it takes, I want to follow Jesus. And Paul is like, no, that's not the case. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. And so he spends this letter talking about freedom. And it's been called, you know, a manifesto of Christian liberty, of Christian freedom by people like Martin Luther and, and others throughout the history of our faith. And so it's really Paul laying out what our freedom looks like as followers of Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 3, verse 26. We're going to read through chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes this, You are all sons of God and daughters, I'll add, through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he, is no, he or she is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So good. So packed with goodness there. And a lot, there's a lot going on in there. What he's saying is like, um, with the guardians and trustees and all that stuff. We'll touch on all of that here in a minute. But what he's saying is, is sort of like how Jesus says to his disciples, there's so much I want to impart to you. There's so much that I want to share with you, but you're not ready. 
You're not ready yet. And you see Paul writing this into the narrative of Galatians. He's, he's saying there's, there's so much for you to step into. So much that you're ready to. When you're ready, you'll step into. He's also talking about the law. He's saying basically that the law is infertile. The law cannot beget children. The law cannot regenerate itself. Only through life in the Spirit can we find regeneration. The law is infertile soil. There's no capability in the law to make sons and daughters. In religion, that's religion. And don't you find this with rules and and church cultures that carry a religious spirit that it only serves to remind you of who you used to be and therefore the story ends there. In a religious spirit type of church culture, this is what happens. It, It actually affirms and encourages you to stay put in the incomplete story. It keeps you in a cycle and patterns for years. That's what the religious story Spirit does. It keeps you in that incomplete story of I once was and I now am. It has no, it it cannot regenerate itself. And the best that it can do is set you up for a new birth, a faith in Jesus. Talks about clothes there, talks about putting on new clothes. The old clothes of Adam have been soiled. It's time to put off those clothes and put on the garment of Christ. And the the first thing that I felt like the Lord wanted to highlight is that freedom grows as we move toward our inheritance. This business about um, guardians and and trustees and those sort of things. And the illustration here is, is like my son. My son, Luca, is nine. And Luca is moving towards his inheritance. Now, if Luca were to come up to me and say, hey, um, I'm ready to, to drive. We, Dad, give me your keys and I'll drive our family home from church after second service. I would look at him and say, there's no way that you are driving us home from church. You're not ready yet. Tom, our associate pastor, Tom, is going through a little bit of this right now. Cuba, <laughs> young Cuba, is learning how to drive. And are, you, are you 15? When do you turn? You are 16. So on Friday night at the worship night over at Christ the King in North Olmstead, Cuba was there. And I asked him, I looked at him, I said, hey, did you, did you drive here? And he got a big smile on his face. He's like, yeah. I drive. You know, he's feeling the freedom, like, you know, he's starting to drive. And, and so Tom, I don't know how, you know, when Cuba's like, hey, dad, can I drive? I don't know how that exchange went. If, if Tom passed over the keys across the table trepidatiously or if it was more like, sure. I think it was in full confidence. Cuba's a great kid, so he's very trustworthy. I don't think Tom was like, but still, as a father, you're like, oh, man, he's stepping into something now. Cuba's stepping into something. He's, he's growing into his inheritance. He's growing into freedom. You know, when Luca hits a certain age, I'll release that to him, just as Tom is doing with Cuba now. 
And this is the way it is with freedom. This is the way it is. Sometimes, sometimes as freedom grows with others, it limits itself in us. So as freedom grows for others, it narrows for us. And the illustration here is like a new mom. So a new mom gives birth to a kid, right? And this new mom loves spicy food. She just loves it. But can that new mom eat spicy food? No, she cannot. What happens if she eats spicy? She loves it, like chipotle pepper sauce. Oh, she just loves it. And she puts it, all, she puts it all in her food and stuff, but she can't eat it. Why? Why can she not eat it? Yeah, what happens? Come on, ladies, I know this, and I'm a dude. What happens? Yeah, and gassiness happens and bad stuff. So she limits her freedom for the sake of the next generation. She limits her freedom in, um, in taking spicy foods for the benefit of the baby. This is what freedom looks like. You limit your freedom for the sake of the next generation. When freedom is growing in our lives, sometimes it looks less like it. And in this way, freedom actually limits our options. But you know, religion is right there to seize and to pounce on that. But we, we don't want any religion around here. Turn to your neighbor and say, we don't want any religion around here. Say, if you have, tell your neighbor, if you have one religious bone in your body, I'd be really happy to break it for you. <laughs> we don't want any religion around here. <laughs> but Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9.27 that I beat my body in order to achieve the prize. What he's saying and what he's saying here in Galatians about freedom is that I embrace a lifestyle of limited options so that I can have a particular outcome. I design my days this way so that I can grow in my freedom. And sometimes the really crappy thing about that is that when you create space for other people to grow in their freedom, yours is narrowed. We'll talk about that in a second. Because most believers... Most believers think that God is simply trying to improve your flaws or your failures. He's trying to clean you up. But that's, that thinking is poverty mindset. You see how that, that sort of thinking centers around your flaws and around your failures, where God's not even looking at that. He's not even thinking, I'm going to ask you to take a leap with me too. God's not even thinking about that. He's not even interested in that. Why? Because God only views you through the lens of Jesus. So, here's the leap. When God looks at you, he's not interested in your failures or your flaws. When God sees you, he sees you through the lens of Jesus. So he's actually incapable. The scriptures tell us that God has forgotten our sins. That they're buried beneath the deepest oceans. And so God is incapable of seeing on the other side of the cross. He's only interested in your future. In the favor that rests upon your life. 
for the future that he's designed for you. He's not interested in looking at your flaws anymore. Who's interested in that? People who will criticize your journey. Introspective people. You're interested in looking at your flaws and your failures. The accuser of the brethren is interested in looking at your flaws and failures. Isn't he just like that to come and lie to you? Look at what you just did. Look at that. Is God looking at you like that? No. That is not the heart of the Father. God is only capable of seeing you as heirs to the promise from the cross forward. And that enables you, once you understand your identity, you're able to step into your inheritance. You see, the cross is the dividing line. He's only interested in new creation. God's only interested in new creation. And here's the main point. This is the main thing that I feel like God blew my heart up on this week. Is that in verse 29... Paul states that we're heirs to the promise. What does that mean? What does it mean? As we govern our hearts, we move from permission to possession. I want us to read Obadiah 1.17. And in Obadiah 1.17, we read this. Check this out. It's killer. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. Mount Zion is where... The presence of God, the mountain of God where his presence dwelt. We know from Galatians 5, we said that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So where the presence of God is, ever increasing freedom follows. Not just freedom from, freedom for. Where the presence of God is, freedom happens. Okay? On Mount Zion, there will be deliverance. And where does God dwell? This side of the cross. He's in our chests. We carry his presence with us wherever we go. So that when you breathe, he breathes. We say that quite frequently here. When you take a step, he takes a step. When you walk into a room, hope walks into a room. The atmosphere shifts around you because the presence of God is carried with you. Check it out. Obadiah. But on, the Mount, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. Here it is. So gold. And Jacob will possess his inheritance. The people of God. In other versions, it says, will possess his possession. It's talking about land. Jacob, the people of God, where the spirit of God is, will be possession. So we're talking about moving from permission to possession. Most believers operate this way, not as heirs to the promise, but God is wanting to move us from permission to possession. And the, is, the illustration here is the Israelites. The Israelites are under Egyptian rule, and they're set free from slavery. They have permission. They're in the wilderness, but they do not realize that they're in the wilderness. Do you understand? Every morning when they wake up, breakfast is on the table. Every night when they go to bed, before they go to bed, dinner is prepared for them. How many of you would love to have breakfast and lunch and dinner prepared for you every single day? Yay! For those of you who are already experiencing that, bless you. You're walking in fullness. But they think that the wilderness is freedom. Why? 
They think that it's freedom because it's easy. Food just drops out of heaven for us. It's easy. They don't even realize that it's the wilderness. All the food was made for them. Many believers think like this. God used to do everything for me, we say in our hearts. I feel like that I've lost that sense of freedom. We take a nostalgic look at our faith. I'm not talking about going to church or not. We take a nostalgic look at our faith and we say, back then, (laughs) back then, I remember those days. If only in these days God dealt with me now like he dealt with me back then. There was so much freedom in those days. God used to do everything for for me. But if we think like that, we're missing the point. We're missing what Paul is saying here. It's sort of like how we said the disciples come around Jesus and they're like, not ready yet. And the Lord's like, there's so much more I want to share with you. Check it. This is so rad. You see, more often than not, we want God. We want him to treat us with an element of permission. And really what we're saying (laughs) is that we want an immature faith where everything is done for us. Because the fact is, once the Israelites entered the promised land, enemies were all around them. What, What was theirs became theirs and their kids and their kids' kids to this day. So once you're in the promised land, you can, only what you possess can you pass on. You can't pass on anything through permission. Uh-huh. You can only pass on through possession. The provision that they received in the wilderness, the manna, the quail, what happened to it? After a day, after the sunset, what happened to the food? It spoiled. The provision in the wilderness was only good for one day. The manna from heaven, it spoiled. But in the new land, once they got it, once they possessed the land, it was theirs. It was their grandchildren's. In our faith, God desires for us to move from permission to possession into fullness. The other example is of Ishmael and Hagar. Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael, remember, was the son of Hagar, the maidservant. Ishmael received an inheritance. Why? Because he, he was of Abraham's seed. <laughs> so rad. Ishmael was free to go wherever he wanted, wasn't he? He's free to go wherever he wanted. He was free to take a wife from anywhere. Not so with Isaac. Isaac had to stay in a specific geographic location. Isaac could only take a wife from a specific group of people. You see what I'm driving at? Isaac's freedom seems to be limited because of his inheritance. Their inheritance was different. Isaac and Ishmael's Inheritance was not the same. 
And this is the way that it works out in our lives. Sometimes we think in our hearts that other believers seem to have more freedom to do different things than I do. This works out in like swearing for me. <laughs> um, I used to be like super judgmental. I'm like, man, why do they get to like, do you guys know this? Some of you know this. Why do they get to come close to that thing? And every, if I get anywhere near it, Lord, you come down on me super hard. Some of you know that it's because my inheritance is different than theirs. Your inheritance is different than the person sitting next to you. It's not the same. You see? In work, sometimes it looks like this. Like your boss comes in and like, you know, criticizes you for like not doing something and you want to like lash back and tell him all the stuff that you've been doing. And then they go down to like two cubicles down to the pagan who doesn't do anything. And they're like, hey, let's get some coffee, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, what's up? Lord, what gives? I'm supposed to have more freedom and favor. Well, you're reading the sign wrong. You're reading the sign wrong. You, you do have more freedom. And that's why God entrusts you with that person in your life. Because he knows that you won't snap back at your boss. <laughs> He's growing freedom in you. And then he reminds you that you are somebody else's difficult person. <laughs> and he reminds you if you meet one jerk in the morning, they're the jerks. But if you keep on meeting jerks throughout your day, you're the jerk. Inheritances are different. For me, I found that, like, with the swearing thing, it's like, you know, it's cool. Like, people, that's their inheritance, small, small things, so use small words. But I'm called, <laughs> but I know who I am. I'm called to speak to nations, and my words sit, like, there's blessing on my words. My, my words sit in people's hearts like golden apples and settings of silver. Like the Psalms say, I know who I'm supposed to be. And some of you are sitting there judging me. How arrogant do you have to be? No, it's just I know what my inheritance is. And as you move into your inheritance, you'll find that it's different from other people's. Your journey doesn't have to look like someone else's. It wasn't designed to look like theirs. God has reserved it for you and for you specifically. I can't occupy what you occupy. You can't occupy what I occupy. Well, you probably could pretty easily, more easily. than. Okay. Um, so as we govern our hearts, we grow in our freedom. You might have grown up in a church of expectation, which became an obligation for you. You might have come into a freedom culture like this. Some of you aren't aware of this. There are many people who Sarah and I are coming into contact with right now where they're walking into Vineyard Cleveland and they're experiencing deep and transformational freedom right now in their lives, especially with how they view church. In the context of this city that we live in, in Cleveland, they're experiencing great freedom as they come here. You know, their duty of religion is being replaced by permission. They're saying, like, I don't have to, 
I don't have to do this or not do this. I don't have to dress a certain way for God to still love me. (gasps) It's exhilarating when you step into a freedom house. It's exhilarating when you step into freedom culture. Suddenly no one's checking on your attendance. No one really cares that you're here or if you're not here. We're not like checking up on you to see if you're here. For some people, that's really freeing. For some people, they're like, they don't care that I'm here. Yay! For other people, they're like, they don't miss me when I'm gone? What kind of people are those? You see? (sighs) But that's just part of being in a, a freedom culture. We don't care. We figure that, you know, once you turned 18, you're free to like check in and out of wherever you go to. So, you know, some people have come up to me and they're like, man, I haven't seen this person in three weeks. Should I go out and get them? Yes, slave driver, we should go and bring them back to us and and make them pay for missing church. Yes, gather them back to the house of God. We don't care if you show up or if you don't show up. You're free to show up. You're free to give as much money or as little money as you like. No one's really checking. That's the secret. No one really cares. Because people are all consumed with their own little thing that's going on anyway. The difference here is is living as a tenant instead of a son or daughter. This is what Paul's getting at. As we govern our hearts, we grow into freedom. So those of you who rent apartment buildings, I know there's a few of you here in first service as well, who rent places like in Lakewood or Tremont or something, you, you rent and sometimes you feel nervous about what the tenants are doing to your place as you sit here in church on a Sunday morning. But your attitude would change a whole lot differently if your son or daughter were renting from you. You would think much differently. Why? Because sons and daughters govern their freedom differently from tenant, than tenants do. The story about this farmhand who worked for this married couple all of his life. And as the married couple got older, a lot of the farm began to fall into shambles. The paint on the barn started to crack and, and everything just started to go downhill on this farm. The condition of this farm started to deteriorate. And every day the farmhand would go to work and he'd do his work and then he'd go home. Well, one night, the married couple called the farmhand to dinner, to have dinner with them. And as the farmhand sat with them, the married couple uh, asked him to take the farm for them after they died. They thought of him as a son, and they had no children of their own, and so they wanted to give the farm to the son, or to the farmhand. So wouldn't you know it? The farmhand, in the next week, came back to work on the farm. And what did he do? He starts painting the barn. You can see some of our our handiwork in the kids' wing. Starting to paint the barn and care for it. Why? What changed? What changed? 
he realized that he was a son. He was like a son to these people. He was no longer just a hired hand, but he was a son to these people. And he stood to inherit the entire farm. He started to fix the broken boards and, and, and care for the animals in a different way. It changes everything when we move from viewing ourselves as tenants to sons and daughters. It changes everything about the way that we step into our inheritance. God grows us in freedom, and freedom matures in us. When we begin to live out of freedom, we choose delight. But sometimes the things that we take delight in look like obligations to the untrained eye. We feel, for those who are delighting, worship's like, wasn't worship just amazing this morning? It's just like you didn't want it to, I didn't want to come up and speak. It's just like, can't we just stay here like right now? And some of you were thinking the same thing too. I know it. That, no, that was a joke. Like, don't speak, Evan. Sit down. What are you going to be doing? <laughs> I didn't want it to eat. I didn't believe. I know what you're thinking. I, <laughs> you know, I didn't want you to speak either. You know, we read our Bibles not because we have to, because we feel like we get life from it. We feel like, you know, God speaks to us through it. It's his very word to us. It's starting to sound like a plug for church. I don't want it to sound like a plug for church. But to those who delight, freedom looks a whole lot different than to those who don't. Sometimes it looks sometimes your freedom looks like obligation to others. But you you're saying I'm designing my days I'm limiting my options in order to grow in freedom because I'm unsatisfied with the incomplete story of I once was and I now am, period. I'm wanting to grow in freedom for, not freedom from. This is a lot. I realize that. You can't, what I'm saying is you can't really tell freedom by looking at the action. You see? This is what it looks like. If you... Um, Sometimes a socialite or like a social butterfly, you can look at them and you can think, dang, they're so free. Look at all the parties that they're going to. And those, that person really isn't free. Some of you get it. The other, okay. The other one is um, the CEO of the organization has all of this work and responsibility to do, right? And the admin looks at the CEO and thinks, that person is so free. He or she is so free. Look at them. But we miss it if we do that. Like Peter Parker says, Spider-Man, with great power comes... A lot of times what looks like great free... Great, like, with great power comes great responsibility. The truth is, is that that CEO or that social butterfly or whatever is less free than they've ever been before. 
except that they're free through the lens of their inheritance. Do you see? They're being who they were created to be. They're less free than they've ever been, except through the lens of their inheritance. That's the truth. Entrepreneurs here, I I received a, a big, you know, thumbs up from the entrepreneurs in first service. Those who own your own business or who are in leadership. This is, isn't that the truth? The further that you go along in the organization, the less power that you ha- actually have. <laughs> Case in point, no power here. I have no, because as you move along, as you move along, and this is the same in our journey with Jesus. As you move along and your journey with Jesus That power is disseminated and is spread throughout the organization. You see? So the further that you go along in the organization, the less power that you actually have. The same way, as you follow Jesus, and I'm not, I guess, I'm trying to like work this out. And I know we need to get out of here. Applebee's is like, I know people are like super hungry right now. I've, I really value your time. You're welcome to leave at any, t- at any point. No one's really fastening to you to the chairs. Remember, no one cares whether you're here or not. <laughs> Heck, we could be here till five, I think. You're welcome to stay for any of that or for none of it. No one really cares. What we care about is bringing life to the city. And so, here's where that principle works out. As you step into your inheritance, it might look less free on the outside, but as you grow freedom for others, it narrows it for you. So you, so you um, the further you go along and you step into your inheritance and you stop asking God for permission to do stuff and to do everything for you, and you step into possession of who you were always created to be, it flows out of you and brings life to everyone around you. A glass can only spill what it contains. And you contain the presence of Jesus inside of your chest if you claim Jesus as Lord. You carry him inside you. And so while you might be kept on a short leash by the Lord, you're extending freedom wherever you go. You can't help but do it. But to you, it might look like you're a failure. But that's not the case. The presence of God is not a light switch that you can turn on and off, depending on where you are or who you are around. Growth is... Growth is indeterminate. I cannot tell because I hang out with Luca and Winnie every day. I cannot tell that they're getting taller. Parents, you know this. And then finally, you go on like a two-day retreat or something. Or like you go to this conference and you're away from your babies. And then you come back and you're like, dang, my kids are big. I was just like holding them. 
the heck is going on? And you'll be in situations like this. When you, when you are called to release life to the culture around you, that you think you're unequipped, but you've stepped into possessing the land. And so you don't think, you don't, you don't know what's happening in the hearts of others. You release life simply by showing up on the scene. And it all starts with knowing your inheritance, knowing what you carry, knowing that you are a son, you're a daughter, sonship. And as we step into that, we release that to the culture around us. Why don't you join me in standing? We'll get you out of here.